Um, the next speaker needs no introduction for a lot of us, for some of us perhaps. Uh, the vile vlogger, uh, millennial <laughs> woes. Uh, Scottish blogger, uh, vlogger, uh, speaks about identitarian issues. Um, you can check out his YouTube channel uh, where he discusses in-depth uh, philosophy and links to the issues of our time. So, uh, Mr. Woes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, I think I'll just move this forward a bit. Okay. Now, we are here to talk about the future of the European peoples and the prospect of a new golden age. But we must also talk about our survival, which will enable that golden age and be justified by it. Um, before I go any further, I want to say this is a speech that I'm going to have to read off the screen an awful lot. And I regret that because I would, this particular speech, I would rather address it to every single one of you. I'd rather be looking at you while I speak because it really is, I want to reach each one of you. And I mean it for each one of you. But I'm going to have to look at the screen an awful lot. I apologize. Just imagine that I am talking to each one of you because I am. Okay. And so we'll continue. Our survival. Within the European context, the main threat to the survival uh, of us and our culture is Islam. Without Islam, forming native white ethnostates within our countries might enable us to preserve our genetics and our culture. It would not be dignified to do that, to form ethnostates within the countries that should be ours and were ours and are ours, it would not befit the white race to hide away like that. And I still wouldn't be recommending it, but it might well enable us to survive, at least for a while. But that is not the situation, because we are dealing with Islam. And Islam will not stop at the border of an ethno-state. The old conservative slogan of just leave me alone, just let me be free of this stuff that you're doing, is nowhere near enough to address this situation. Now, to save time, I will not go into the factors in detail about why I think Islam is on the rise and demographically and so on. I, there's a lot to be said about it, and I did originally have a lot written, but I've cut it out for, for time reasons. But I will, I will say that Muslims have higher birth rates than us and stronger spiritual will than we currently have. They believe in themselves. Therefore, the best we Europeans can expect is not peaceful coexistence with Islam in Europe, but to be peacefully taken over and absorbed by Islam in Europe. That's what we're facing. Of course, it is insane to believe that this process would be peaceful, but that's another matter. So what are the forces that are allowing this fate to close in on us? Every single day. Our cultural paradigm of equality, egalitarianism and atomized individualism prohibits us from objecting to the takeover of us by Islam. 
This paradigm ensures that we see ourselves as individuals, but see other peoples and allow other peoples to see themselves as peoples. It ensures that we lose our way and stand in open-mouthed bafflement and amazement as other peoples refuse to lose their way. It ensures that we are beaten, regardless of who beats us. But what allows this cultural paradigm to remain predominant in our societies? The complacency of the white public. Also, our political paradigm prohibits us from objecting to the takeover. Social democracy demands that if a social change is peaceful, then it cannot be objected to. It therefore also demands that up until the point when a social change becomes violent, it must not be objected to. So, if Muslims become the majority and then vote in an Islamic theocracy, well then that's what the public voted for. And that's fair. And uh, you can't object, in the meantime, you can't object to that situation fomenting, coming about, because to do so means objecting to Muslims being in your society, and that's hate speech. <laughs> so, all that Muslims need to do to take us over in a way that our own political paradigm will prevent us from opposing is quietly outbreed us. Then they can, if necessary, finish the job with violence, by which time, of course, it is far too late to mount an armed resistance, or even for the public to be told about the threat to them and their way of life. But what allows social democracy to retain its power to prohibit? The complacency of the white public. Our governments prohibit us from objecting to the takeover, or certainly from doing anything about it, and increasingly even from talking about it. Our governments, if we are to give them the benefit of the doubt, are doing this because they have boxed themselves into a corner. They have fomented this situation, and now, now that it's taken shape, they have no idea what to do about it. And they daren't admit the situation, because then they would be obligated to do something about it. Another theory is that our governments are in thrall to a globalist paradigm that they will push until the very last second. And another theory is that our governments are controlled by people who literally want us destroyed. Either way, what allows our government to remain inert in the face of this crisis? The complacency of the white public. Our intelligentsia prohibit us from objecting to the takeover of us by Islam. Our intelligentsia is largely shaped by a group that is foreign to us and has a much higher average IQ than we have. And they can out-bullshit almost anyone. <laughs> to make us accept and even celebrate our extinction, they have, on the left wing, the power plus prejudice weapon the ingrained privilege weapon, the historic injustices weapon, the epistemic privilege weapon, the race as a social construct weapon, and the 
there's no such thing as X weapon. There's no such thing as Dutch. There's no such thing as French, and so on. And on the right wing, they have the atomized individualism weapon, the collectivism is bad weapon, and the only mo money matters weapon. And also the victimhood is for losers weapon. So stop feeling sorry for yourselves, white people. So what if you're going to be extinct? Stop moaning about it. Get rich. <laughs> so, but what allows our intelligentsia to continue wielding these weapons? The complacency of the white public. Our media prohibits us from objecting to the takeover. It produces music and films and TV shows which are nihilistic and which skillfully detach white people from their racial identity and their national identity and their local identity. And so, nothing matters if you live like that, if you don't identify with any heritage, any history, any story, then what, what matters, what can matter? Just comfort in the here and now. But why is the media able to continue spewing this poison? The complacency of the white public. But if the complacency of the white public is what enables these forces to continue working against us, what perpetuates white complacency? The utter deracination of the modern white. It's really a feedback loop. All of these forces continue to deracinate the modern white divorce him from his heritage and his identity, which in turn allows them to continue doing this. And it goes on and on. And in this regard, this uh, divorce from our heritage or history, are we Europeans, by which I mean those of us who live in Europe, are we really any better than the young American raised among strip malls and towns that are less than 100 years old? I don't think we are. We have all been made into Americans, at least the younger generations. Here we are in Europe, among thousand-year-old buildings and ancient fields, the very ground on which our ancestors walked. And yet, what connection do we feel to those ancestors? It's as if they never existed. Whites today have been almost completely disconnected from their heritage. And this is what allows the various organs of our society to continue persuading us that it doesn't matter whether we live or die as a race. So, current trends dictate that Europe will become Islamic. And the various peoples of Europe will be race-mixed out of recognition. What will be the end result of this? It will be a continent populated by mixed race, 90 IQ, maybe lower even than that, Islamic people who are surrounded by the artifacts of dead cultures that they don't know, don't understand, and don't care for. Now, these people could benefit from the scientific achievements of the white race. And maybe they will have some limited use for the philosophical achievements. But Western civilization itself, and all of the ethnic threads that make it up, 
the stories, the artworks, the conventions, sorry, the novels, the paintings, the architectural styles, and the social conventions. The fabric of our everyday being. The stuff that makes us who we are. This is valuable to us because we understand it, because it is ours, because it is us. But to our mixed race, Islamized descendants and replacements, it will be worthless. No, worse than that, it will be meaningless to them. Meaningless. We can speak these languages. We can understand these things. They will have absolutely no idea what they mean. So odds are, our cultural, religious, artistic, political, and philosophical legacy would eventually be warped out of recognition if left in the hands of people who are not us. In effect, over a few generations, they would destroy it. And that is the best that we can expect if current trends continue. The worst we can expect is that they will simply take our women, massacre us, and rather than gradually destroying everything that our ancestors created, destroy it overnight. This is real. Sometimes it amazes even me. I talk about it all the time. And then sometimes it hits me, bloody hell, this really is happening. And it's going to happen. So we have to get practical. Get to that at the end of the speech. So, we know what we are fighting against. Oblivion, extinction, and uh, reverse evolution by mixing with third world peoples. But what are we fighting for? Because we can't just be against stuff. There has to be something. There has to be some heart. Now, there is the sanctity of home, of Europe. We need to belong somewhere. America has shown us what we can't withstand in terms of a break with our history, but also what we can withstand in terms of a brave leap forward into the uncharted territories of the future. But there must be home. The white race is incredibly strong and capable and flexible but also fragile. We must have a home which shapes, informs, and reassures us. We are needy, more needy than the other races in some ways, but we are extraordinary. We require the freedom to develop our interests and passions and ways of thinking as each of our individual biologies <coughs> demands. But we also require something to devote that unique individual biology to. Very few of us can live as an island, and the modern world forces that upon us, and in response we are self-destructing. Our women becoming neurotic, cold, selfish, childless and bitter slags. Our men becoming cowardly, self-hating, video game addicted virgins who are afraid of their own shadow. So much for individualism. 
So much for progressivism. So much for living life your way. So, while there is a need for freedom, a crucial need for freedom, which I don't want to understate, there is also a need for direction and context. Now, the context is much more difficult to discuss. What is the best context for us to live within? Some believe it is religion, and I suspect that they are correct. However, I will not tackle that question in this speech. Instead, I will concentrate on the need for direction. The white man is not like the Chinese man, or the Japanese man, or the African man. He needs a project. The bigger and grander it is, the better. We had colonial empires, but we now regard that as immoral and inhumane. And in any case, doing that would be too easy now. It would be a lazy, hollow kind of conquest. Far more satisfying uh, with our technology, uh, for example, it would be nothing for us to take over Africa again. It really would not be difficult. And so it would be un unfulfilling. Far more satisfying and exciting would be imperialism in outer space. But I'll get to that later. Other projects which progress daily even now include scientific inquiry, philosophical cogitation, and artistic exploration. All of these are forms of conquest. The white man is a conqueror, in every sense of that word. Always we need new ground that has not yet been discovered or understood or reshaped and made useful or beautiful. Always we need a new challenge, a new way to expand knowledge, expand ourselves, create function and create beauty. Always. Our innocence needs new stimulation, new ways to remain innocent, to stave off the eternal temptation towards pessimism, despair, and corruption. Put simply, we need new worlds, new frontiers, things for us to get excited about, things for us to get romantic about. The white man needs romance. Now, there are two major categories of things that we can be romantic about. The first is home, the second is the unknown. We are in danger of losing our home, Europe, and if that happens, we will not be able to explore the unknown, whether physically, because we won't have the resources to do that, or intellectually and creatively, because we won't have the culture to support that. We won't have these things because if we lose our home, then we will cease to exist. So, we are fighting for home, but also for a future in which we are not limited to home, geographically or intellectually. So let us imagine a future in which we have secured these things, and then chart a course from there back to here, to this very room in late 2017. I'm going to start 
1,000 years from now, the year 3017. Of course, these dates are quite arbitrary and rough, but I've, uh, it's a mix of prediction and recommendation in terms of the, the events that I'm going to list and uh, what I think we need to do and what we, I think we need to have done by this date and so on. But the dates are obviously approximate. But with this first one, a thousand years from now, I want you to imagine a real space age, a new imperial age. Conquest, new challenges, new threats, new battles, new territory, new riches, new mysteries, new techniques and technologies, new lands, new worlds, new vehicles. Just endless newness. We will have bases on the moon, on Mars, probably on all the moons in our solar system, maybe even beyond that. There will be great farms of automated factories spread over silent, solemn, alien landscapes. There will be space stations with ships peacefully arriving and leaving, being repaired or upgraded or silently robotically dismantled for reuse as parts. There will be automated processing facilities where materials are broken down by nanobots for repurposing as other materials. Whatever we need. And of course there will be asteroid mining for energy and raw minerals. This will be an age of possibility and wonder and danger and excitement and risk. The kind of thing that men want to live for and little boys want to grow up for. Now I believe, I may well be wrong, but I believe that this will be a post-scarcity society. White people, I think, are heading towards that, for good and ill. I think that white people need challenges, but not necessarily the challenge of survival. At any rate, that challenge for survival and the acquaintanceship with reality can be artificially faced by each person by way of something like Bill Whittle's three and a half days idea where you go out into the wilderness and have to fend for yourself and kill your own food and all the rest of it. In any case, it would be absurd to artificially perpetuate the struggle for survival when we have ample means by which to ensure not just survival, but luxury for every one of our people. So then what about struggle and honour and sacrifice, which I think are essential, absolutely essential drives which prevent us from uh, falling apart and destroying ourselves and rotting. I think those needs, struggle and honour and sacrifice, will be served in a much more honest and useful way by conquering new territory, posing new questions, finding new answers, and solving new problems. As for how ordinary people will live in this year 3000, this whiteopia, I've no idea. And I did try to come up with ideas for this, but I couldn't, couldn't think of any. I just thought the space stuff, peace, the post-scarcity, the abundance, and that seemed good enough, to be honest. But uh, I'm sure there are there is a lot that could be said about this, a lot that could be explored about the possibilities. Um, but 
what I would say is that if I think with this in this kind of civilization, white people would at least be safe, at least from uh, earthly threats. Um, so that's the year three thousand and seventeen, a thousand years from now. But in order to get there, and this is the crux of the matter. In order to get there, what do we need to do? Let's think about 500 years from now, the year 2517. I think that we should aim for an average European IQ level that exceeds that of the Ashkenazi Jews, which is 115. This is a competition. And it's a competition in which our competitors know that they are competing. We don't. Or some of us don't. <laughs> um, there, there's mass delusion about this. So our competitors care about IQ. And they'll seek it out and try to in increase it, uh, whether by way of eugenic breeding or genetic engineering. We need to start caring about IQ as well. And again, this is a bit that I cut because I did write quite extensively about this. Um, I think that, well, you get the point. As an individualist race, we have a very delusional attitude towards the matter of our group IQ. And that needs to change. But first, of course, we have to recognise ourselves as a group, as a people, as a race. Uh, otherwise, th there is no group IQ. If there's no group, that's <laughs> crazy. Now, a point of concern, if we do raise our IQ dramatically, and I would think that 115 would not be the end goal here, I would say we'd go much farther than that. If we do that, maybe those future Europeans, much more intelligent than we are today, will not closely resemble us. And that might be troubling. I think the important thing is that they emerge from us in an unbroken line. So that they are so that they are our descendants and so that we are their ancestors. And our race has continued to evolve, to improve. After all, intelligence isn't everything. It is not the only key to success, nor to identity, nor to moral worth. There are other aspects to the white psyche which will remain. And even be enhanced by a raised IQ. Creativity and compassion, for example. But besides that, Another of our key characteristics will remain, and that is our innocence. It is not greed, or wickedness, or cunning, or bitterness, or corruption, which makes us crave the next challenge, the next wonder, the next mystery, the next romance. It is our naive, optimistic, rather childlike, openness to the world and to all of creation. And if our descendants have that, they might have an average IQ of 150, but they will still be us. But the path to that year, 2517, let's talk about 200 years from now, the year 2217. And here I'm going to start talking about events that I think are going to take place in Europe. Events that I think are going to happen in the next few centuries and what we need to do to respond to them. So again, it's a mix of prediction and recommendation. 
First of all, I should say, just before I begin, that I think there's going to be a huge race war in Europe. And, uh, well, we'll see that play out here. 200 years from now, the year 2217, with peace entirely restored to Europe and racial homogeneity almost entirely restored, we will see Europeans trying various new ways of living. Some ways of living will be much more possible than before because of 3D printing, which might provide the benefits of globalization without globalization. Uh, globalization is very advantageous in some ways, but very damaging, very damaging in other ways. So only the raw materials for 3D printing will be required for a vast range of things that today require international trading networks and all sorts of networks to accomplish. And incidentally, I expect that 200 years from now, we will have begun sourcing these raw materials for 3D printing from nearby bodies in the solar system. On ground level, on back here in Europe, I expect that we will be living in some form of neo-feudalism. Prototypes for this can be seen today in the tech firms of Silicon Valley. And I could go into that in more detail, but basically a corporation runs this village, but everyone is able to com uh, communicate with the corporation and every the corporation wants people to be happy, content, and so on, because otherwise they can just leave. So it becomes a sort of microcosm, uh, its own ecosystem of, with, with shops and schools and hospital and all the rest of it. It's a very interesting thing, and I suspect it will feature heavily in our future. These future feudal estates will have inbuilt hierarchy, but also a place for people of all ability levels giving most people meaning and belonging, genuine rootedness and local identity, as well as a secure place in the local hierarchy. I believe this will be a more rewarding way of living than the atomized and di uh, directionless way that we live today. Also, I think we will have networks of networks of feudal estates. And of course, there will be disagreements. I expect there will be wars. But everyone will know never to repeat the insanity of the 20th century. Scars from the race war of the 21st century will still be around, perhaps deliver, uh, deliberately preserved as warnings. Now, in order to get there, let's talk about 100 years from now, the year 2117. The European race war will be over and done with, whites victorious. White ethnocentrism will reign freely in the soul of every European. I hope that we will be humane to the defeated peoples of colour, for their loss will be great. They will be living among us still, in some numbers, but they will understand that miscegenating with us is absolutely forbidden. And they will understand that their future and the lives of their children and grandchildren will not be lived among us. To that end, mass deportations to the white-run, brown and black ethnostates in the third world will be commencing. A lot of people will leave voluntarily for these ethnostates, 
since they will have all the benefits of societies run by whites, but in climates more suited to their biology, and without the constant annoying presence of white people in their daily lives. I thought that would get a laugh. We all know. Also, with the terrible race war over, European high culture will begin to emerge from its long hibernation. A hibernation that you might say began with the race war, but I would say began a hundred years before that, in the middle of the 20th century. The intelligentsia will also be emerging from a long silence, having finally understood their own role in bringing the catastrophe about. By this time, a uh, hundred years from now, we should aim, I think, for an average European IQ that matches or exceeds that of East Asians, 106. This will make the rebuilding of our civilization easier and faster. However, that IQ level will not come about by magic. Now to get to there, 75 years from now, the year 2092. With the race war beginning to quieten down, the data banks containing instructions on how to produce many types of machinery and equipment will be opened to select people, and plans will be developed for how to acquire the raw materials needed to follow those instructions. There should be eugenic breeding programs facilitated by the government, high IQ couples paid out of the public purse to have many children. The higher their combined IQ, the more they should be paid for each child. This policy will be justified by racial awareness, a recognition of group identity, and the need for the welfare of that group, and the improvement of that group. And this recognition of group identity has been forced back into the white psyche by decades of racial conflict. Racial conflict which only happened because that group awareness had been forced out of the white psyche by decades of racial brainwashing. So, uh, yes, I think that group identity will, be, will make a welcome return because, after all, we had it. We had this sense of ourselves forever up until very recently. So it's not something that's foreign to us. Other things are foreign to us, but not a sense of who we are. Individualism is a, certainly a part of our psychology, but it's, it's not the whole thing. So, 50 years from now, the year 2067. And incidentally, if current trends continue, I believe that by this year, 2067, more than half of the children in Britain will be non-white. There's something I thought I'd add in there. I'm not 100% sure about that, but I, I believe I did read that. 50 years from now, 2067, the European race war will be in full swing. There will be auto-segregation. Mixed-race people will be largely homeless and having to seek out other mixed-race people, of whom there will be increasingly few. I really do feel sorry for them. Uh, it's bad enough for them having to deal with the lack of identity today. But in the future, in any kind of ethnic conflict, God help them.
the auto-segregation will result in communities that take shape, obviously ethnic communities, that take shape but dissolve with incredible speed due to the sporadic warfare all across the continent. Strongholds will exist for whites in the far-flung corners of Europe. I think for at least a while the centre of Europe will probably be lost, to at least some degree. In response to the race war, our governments, who are now on the side of their own native peoples, will understand the need to re-emigrate, by force if necessary, most of the third world population in Europe. Towards this end, there should be the requisition of a large area of land in sub-Saharan Africa for establishing a white-run ethno-state for blacks. And we can send them all there. And as I said earlier, I think a lot of them will go there without much persuasion. <coughs> there should also be the requisition of a large area of land in the Arab Peninsula, or possibly North Africa, for establishing a white-run ethno-state for Arabs. However, I expect that many Arabs will have remained ethnically intact uh, because of their tribalism, and so they can be returned to their ancestral countries, and we can find ways to make those ancestral countries accept them. For Europeans, the task will be to withstand the final years of the race war. We will begin to emerge decisively from our strongholds on the perimeter of Europe, moving closer towards the, the centre and eliminating resistance. There will be little to no high culture, certainly in most people's daily lives, since most people will have no time for it and no desire for it, I would imagine. However, there will be an intelligentsia, as there always is. A lucky few intellectuals will be able to survive living in the equivalent of monasteries from the Dark Ages, they will still have a place in society, but they will know their place. However, they will be largely silent, unable to pass much comment on the world around them, because it will utterly baffle them. They will have no tools with which to understand it. Their most recent reference point will be the cultural Marxist poison which brought about the situation that they are now enduring, along with everyone else. So that will be a, a pleasant silence from the intelligentsia for at least a while. That's 50 years from now. Now let's talk about 25 years from now, the year 2042. I think at this point Antifa will have given up, totally, probably long before this point. They will mostly join the ethno-nationalists, although many will just shuffle off and try to disappear. Maybe into the wastelands, who knows. But, around this time, I believe, 25 years from now, America, America will cease to be a superpower. And this will be the death knell for Western civilization as we know it. It will be the signal for all-out war, the race war to break across Europe, which it will. Without America to keep control anymore, all bets are off. In the meantime, in preparation for that race war, ethnocentrism will have become standard among white people, I believe, 25 years from now, if not before then. Large numbers of non-whites will be voluntarily re-emigrating back to their ancestral lands, because they too will sense 
serious danger, as I think it's already starting, really. And it, as it dawns on them that the civil war, or the civil warring, is a long-term thing, and that whites are not going to give up, and that they would be safer among their own people back home. For those who remain, and there will be many millions of them, the ethnic lines will be rigid, and there will be no more conversions to Islam. Right now that's a thing. I think once the, the chips are down, as we say in Britain, um, it's, it, there will be no more conversions. And thus the battle lines will be drawn and the civil war will commence. It will rage for many years and tens of millions of people will die. Cities will be lost to Islam, then regained, then lost. Sometimes a city will fall to Islam for ten years or more, sometimes for only a few months. Towns will be dangerous places to live because of the lack of protection from marauding bands of fighters. Eventually it will become absolutely brutal, with people of different races frantically trying to kill each other on sight, and whole towns being raped and burned to the ground just for the sake of it. For obvious reasons, by this year, 2042, we must aim for control of our mass media to be wholly in our hands. The media establishment of today is clearly perfectly happy with lying and damaging white people's morale whenever possible. So I do not trust it to be anything other than poison to us during the ethnic conflicts to come. And that's why it must be brought under control, under our control. Now, 20 years from now, 2037, I think at this point the universities will be mostly STEM. Very few humanities departments will still be around. This will be the end of the intelligentsia as we know it today, and it will also have an unpleasant chilling effect on culture, especially high culture, which will be slipping into hibernation. Probably the education system will be the last organ of society to give up on multiculturalism, equality, etc because its practitioners, the teachers, are so young and the pressure on them is so immense, and because teachers tend not to live in the real world. As a result, the schooling system will be losing pupils as parents turn to homeschooling in large numbers. Increasingly, the only kids left in school will be non-whites and the white working class. So we have to be thinking about those white working class and what we can do for them. Survivalism in general will be growing in popularity as people plan for self-sufficiency in the difficult years ahead. In preparation for after the race war, people will compile the data banks of information that will be needed to rebuild civilization. Now, 15 years from now, 2032. The establishment will have given up its war against identitarians, hopefully because events will have overtaken its narrative and the media's ability to support and withhold, to support that narrative and withhold the truth from people. Some governments will be stubborn and will be taken over in coups, sometimes by the nation's military, sometimes by public disorder and rioting. The militaries, sensing that once the governments are dealt with, there is going to be an ethnic war to be fought, will begin quietly firing non-white personnel to ensure reliability among the ranks when the time comes. This will be the point in history when the 20th century 
is truly cut adrift, and people breathe a long, slow, frightened sigh, waiting for the cataclysm to arrive. People on the ground will know that the authorities share their sense of foreboding, because it will be increasingly difficult to find an art gallery that still displays any great works, because they will be getting hidden away in underground bunkers for safety. Now let's talk about 10 years from now, 2027. There will be ongoing civil unrest in virtually all European cities, and usually caused by unreasonable demands by non-whites not being met by the whites, there will be frequent outbreaks of small-scale civil war, rioting, burning down buildings, and even killing of random groups of people. White people will be abandoning the cities. Universities and corporations will be relocating from cities to the countryside. Since only large corporations and the wealthiest universities will be able to afford to build large, secure campuses out in the countryside, these new campuses might well form the basis of the future feudal estates. In the meantime, back in the cities, rape of poor white women who are stuck there will be an hourly occurrence, and alternative media and news websites will be keeping the public informed of the reality of things. As a result, the reality of things will be known and undeniable to most normal people, and political correctness will be dying. People will no longer be getting fired from their jobs for voicing blatantly pro-white opinions, and the governments of Europe will begin getting the message that they really should stop banning identitarian organisations. It also wouldn't surprise me if, in one final attempt to win the public's favour, they repeal hate speech legislation. But still the intelligentsia will be telling people that whites have privilege and are innately racist and race doesn't exist, etc. This will be them signing their own death warrant. Now we must aim for ethno-nationalists to be in positions of influence within politics, media, academia, police and military by this time, 10 years from now so that we can help direct the change that these institutions need to undergo if they are to benefit our people. We must also aim to have created a comprehensive homeschooling system, complete with resources, curricula, and homegrown subject experts who teach the children of identitarian parents in group lessons over the internet. All right, so five years from now, the year 2022, I think this is probably when we will hit peak progressive insanity. We will see Antifa, as we already do, collaborating with Islam and converting to Islam because these are people desperately seeking identity, dignity, stability and purpose. Censorship of the internet, I think, will also reach its peak, as will the banning of identitarian organisations. Universities will be beginning to depopulate, people preferring apprenticeships, practical skills, and parents directing their kids away from choosing university. Again, I think that's already happening, to be honest. On our side, and this is where we really have to get practical and talk about ourselves and what we are doing, what we should be doing. On our side, um, five years from now, we need to have thorough vetting procedures in place, perfected and in place, 
obviously you can never know for sure, but we need to be as careful as we, we can be and get it right. Thorough vetting procedures for identitarian organizations, communities. We need a robust infrastructure for organizing real-world events, putting people in contact with each other, and informing people of upcoming conferences and so on, and promoting new organizations and individuals. We should have an, an economy internal to the global identitarian community, probably based on Bitcoin. That's to protect us, uh, reliable funding and so on. We should be employing fellow identitarians wherever possible. We should have lawyers on hand in each country to assist members of our community in any case involving identitarian work. Again, we're sitting ducks at the moment. We don't have that in place, legal protection. We should also have, within the community, dispute arbitration to ensure smooth running. Right now, there is not enough of that. We don't have anything like this, some kind of panel who can resolve arguments and conflicts. We don't have that, and so there are lots of pointless arguments going on, pointless vendettas. It doesn't help anyone. I also think that we should have a, some sort of leader summit mechanism, a way for the figureheads of the movement to converse and coordinate things. Looking outwards from the community, identitarians should be starting to infiltrate political organizations as well as the media, academia, police, and military. Two years from now, as near as we can, we need to have a complete web infrastructure so that they can't shut us down. That will mean domain registration, web hosting, DDoS protection, and safe, reliable funding mechanisms. And that really is an essential, because our strong point is on the internet at the moment. Maybe one day we'll be as effective in real life, but for now, it's the internet. And they are trying to take that away from us, that opportunity, that ability to reach the public. So we have to protect that. <clears throat> now, one year from now, our numbers should be grown. And I'm not concerned about this, to be honest, because our numbers are growing all the time. But hierarchies within the global identitarian community, hierarchies should be forming. With the understanding between those hierarchies that they are not rivals or competitors, but colleagues in a historic struggle that will easily crush those who do not stand together and support each other. And I can't emphasize this enough. There should be no time for bullshit, no time for ego, no time for bitchy remarks about each other, no time for pointless rivalry. And if anyone sabotages, undermines, or betrays other members of our community, that person should be ejected from our community. Our struggle transcends every one of us, and every one of us needs to understand that. This is not about your ego. You can have an ego, it's natural enough, and I certainly am not innocent in this respect myself. You can have an ego, but you must try to keep it under control for the sake of the movement. Also, a year from now, I want to see honing of our arguments so that we can reach, this is mainly for reaching normies. Um, and I hope to help in that regard. But we definitely need to get much faster at reaching people. Um, so that's an obvious thing. 
Also, we should be defending free speech in the world at large, making the concept of speech crime seem as dangerous as it is, preparing the public to reject hate crime legislation and support the repealing of it in, in future. We should also have a free speech backup to YouTube selected and being actively promoted. We will also need competent security teams available to protect conferences and to protect individuals. Um, now, these are the big burly men that George Orwell wrote about. Not all of us are going to be fighters, and we need to be realistic about this. So that we can reach all kinds of people, and so that we are a healthy community, we need to have space for all the different kinds of individuals that our peoples produce. The artist, the philosopher, the technician, the extrovert, the organizer, the entrepreneur, the programmer, the designer, the educator, and yes, the tough, hard men who can handle themselves and keep people safe. Now, one month from now, <laughs> starts to get real now. <laughs> I want to see the announcement of a new alt-right organization, and I mean this, I'm not just giving a speech here. I want to see the announcement of a new alt-right organization in every European country that doesn't already have one, and even those countries that do already have one. The more the merrier. But they must not see themselves as rivals. They must see themselves as diversity. <laughs> Enough said. That way, if one organization gets banned or infiltrated, or the leader just needs a break, because God knows it can be stressful, then another organization will be there to pick up the slack in the meantime. So, start thinking about whether you are the kind of person you, any of you, whether you are the kind of person who could organise a conference, who could negotiate with venues, who could arrange places for speakers to stay, or who could publicise an event, and so on. Also, think about whether you could arrange trips, outings, workshops, etc., to get people out of the house and doing something. That in itself would be a big help to a lot of young men. A month from now, I also want new YouTube channels to have been created, covering aspects of Western civilization that aren't being covered by other nationalist channels or identitarian channels. Art history, architecture, psychology, theology, music, woodwork, agriculture, pottery, literature, ancient crafts, ancient European languages. We need to preserve these things. But we also need to show our European brothers and sisters why these things should matter to them. I'm not asking any of you to pretend to be interested in all of these subjects. I'm asking you to understand that when these subjects are available to people, that all adds up to a much stronger European identity. Also, we need to create channels on YouTube that will enable us to help each other. Mental health, physical fitness, nutrition. Uh, personal finances, strategy, activism, entrepreneurship, organizing, leadership. Now, if you start a channel 
more established channels and outlets will help to publicise it, so you won't be working alone. This is the birth of our media, and we need as many nodes in that network as possible. So start seriously thinking about this. One week from now. You will be reading a book about some aspect of European history, culture, psychology, art, philosophy, architecture, traditions, so that you can work with that knowledge and deepen your understanding of your own people and spread that understanding to your blue-pilled brothers and sisters. Or you'll be reading a book about something more practical, leadership, efficiency, thinking ahead, organising, financing, campaigning. Then you can spread that knowledge to your red-pilled brothers and sisters, and they can use it to get more things done. One day from now, you will have decided upon a subject to study over the next few years. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. The next few weeks. Something that will be useful to yourself and to the community. You don't need to become an expert. Just read a book, gain some knowledge, develop some understanding. All knowledge is valuable. And the more each one of us is packed with knowledge, the more robust and flexible we become as a community. The more avenues are available to us, because one of us has that little piece of knowledge gleaned from that book or website, which illuminates another option or helps solve another problem. One hour from now. You will have realised your own part in this struggle. Your own part. The world's in space. The giant machines quietly doing their work a thousand years from now. The post-scarcity. The raised IQ level. The white self-consciousness. The organisations. The internet infrastructure. The free speech. And the wars. And the means by which to win those wars. An hour from now, you will have accepted that all of these future stages rely on you and what you do in your life. You'll be thinking about what you personally can do. Not someone else, not me, not some other figurehead, not some other guy in this room who looks more confident or outgoing or more intelligent than you what you can do. Maybe you can help the identitarian sitting next to you. Maybe he needs a job. Maybe he wants to learn self-defence. Maybe he's got an idea for a website and you could help with that. Maybe he needs help with a business plan. Maybe he, he could help you with a business plan. Maybe you and he could start a project together. What are you waiting for? Every man in this room should do what he can and everything that he can. Sacrifice is an essential thing for any people that values honour. And the peoples of Europe absolutely value honour. And we are at our best when we understand the necessity of sacrifice and accept it and welcome it as part of our own individual lives. You might well have to put your career in danger 
We need lawyers who are prepared to risk their reputations to defend us in court. We need experts in architecture, art history, philosophy and politics who are prepared to face the opprobrium of their professional colleagues by making the case for the white race in public and in person. We need scientists who are prepared to risk scandal by discussing the truth about race and behaviour. And we need employers who are prepared to employ all of these types of people when they say something that gets them blacklisted. We also need business owners who are prepared to employ white nationalists or identitarians in general who get doxxed, regardless of the possible danger to their businesses. If you are not prepared to sacrifice for this movement, then why are you attending this conference? Is it just something to do? A way to kill some time? Something to attach yourself to? I think a lot of people in the alt-right have this attitude to some extent. They understand the problem, but they also see the, what we're doing as entertainment. And it's not entertainment. It's not a bit of fun. This is a call for you to become the most capable, most qualified, most resourceful man or woman that you can become. Why do that degree? Why do that night school class? Why get that extra qualification that you don't really need? Why marry that woman? Why start that business? Why make those connections? Why develop that interest or hobby? Why work hard so that you can afford to produce and raise five or six high IQ white children? It's not just for yourself. It's the survival of our race. And if that isn't worth sacrificing for, I don't know what is. But it's not just survival. That shining future, Whiteopia, peace, post-scarcity, space exploration, a thousand new generations of our people, with all their creativity and intelligence and compassion, that future is possible. It's very, very possible. But the alternative to it is also very possible. And it is the brutal, backward, ignorant, miserable future of a low IQ, mixed race Islamic Europe. The towns and cities of our continent ravaged and deformed the soul of European man crushed and enslaved to creeds that didn't come from his people and will not listen to his concerns or his ideas. I don't believe that there is a middle ground between these futures. The white man must either rot in defeat or he must glory in triumph. So it's either barbaric Islamic Europe or it's whiteopia with spaceships and nanotechnology and better science, and better art, and better morals, and better insight, and better self-understanding, and better thought, and better brains than you and I can dream of today. But we must dream. And we must build. And we must sacrifice.
So what are you going to do? Galaxies and millennia are waiting for us to write ourselves upon them. But it all falls backwards through time and space, through the centuries and decades and years and hours and seconds. Back to this room here and now. And whichever room you're watching the recording of this speech in, whenever that is, right here and now. It falls back to you in these seconds, deciding to do your bit to coax that glorious white future into being. Work with your brothers, work on your own, but work and do what is necessary. Be a man, be a hero, make your ancestors proud and your descendants humble. Thank you. curricula and homegrown subject experts who teach the children of identitarian parents in group lessons over the internet. So I've got about 10 minutes left here of this speech. Um, <laughs> what do you want to do? Right. Um, just going to have an interruption here, I'm sorry. Um, <coughs> right, you have to start the first uh, group to have dinner. So uh, dinner is served at five. We have an hour and a half uh, and it has to be done in two groups. So the people who really want to stay and listen to uh, the last bit of Boris' speech, you can stay. But we need, we need about half of you to go and uh, have dinner. It does get more upbeat. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no,